Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits. Business and swim. You know with your Delta SkyMiles Business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great-tasting dairy, you'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great-tasting, high-quality organic dairy ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by audible.com a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. 
One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from Tampa, Florida at the Epicurean Hotel. I'm a big water guy, so every time I come to Tampa, I got to get out in the water. My next guy knows all about the water because he gets in it. That's right. He does. He's the associate curator for the Florida Aquarium. Eric Hovland, how are you, sir? I'm doing terrific. Thanks for having me, Peter. Uh, you're also a shark guy. Oh, yeah. Sharks are my passion. I'm the shark guy. All right. But do we have sharks at the aquarium? We do have sharks at the aquarium. We have a number of sharks at the aquarium from the tiny bamboo sharks all the way up to our sand tiger sharks. And in fact, there's a really cool relationship between those sharks. And nurse sharks. And we you. have nurse sharks, too. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I went swimming. I mean, I went swimming with the nurse sharks in uh, the Galapagos. Fantastic. And they were the tamest. They they just were were fearless and friendly. They are, you know, and that's actually true of most of the sharks that are out there. Sharks kind of get a bum rap. They get some bad press, and that's why you know people ask me like Eric, why sharks? And I say because everyone already loves dolphins. <laughs> they need to love sharks too. <laughs> it's a world I want to live in. Flipper, flipper. Okay, sorry. Yes. Uh, but bottom line is. You have to know the difference between sharks. It helps to understand sharks. It helps to understand that sharks are, you know, when, when we're entering their environment, we're really entering their environment where, where man is out of his element because you've got a whole other dimension of up and down and the surprise. Now, you're originally from Wisconsin, not known for sharks. Not so much. We're pretty short on sharks in Wisconsin, although a bull shark has been caught as far north as Illinois. So there's a little factoid for you. <laughs> how did he get there? He swam. I, I know that, but I mean, how did, I mean... He's not native to that, that location. Bull sharks can move into freshwater. They can regulate their blood chemistry so they can actually move into freshwater environments around the world. That's one of the reasons they've gotten a rap is because bull sharks are in places you might not expect them to be. But it's not a reason to freak out over sharks. Well, moving beyond sharks and getting yes. into a definition of terms, you know, there are amusement parks that feature sea life and then there's there's an aquarium there's a big it's a big difference there is in that the aquarium and especially what we're known for at the florida aquariums we're we're engaging folks in the the backyards that they didn't even realize they have the wilds of florida florida is surrounded three quarters by water we have more coastline than just about any other state and we're so dependent on water from the 100 million guests that come to Florida every year to all the wildlife out there, which you know, provides not just food and entertainment and sport, but the very air that we breathe comes from healthy coral reef environments. About every other breath, you should say, thank you, sharks and healthy coral reefs. That's where the oxygen is produced. Well, from an educational level, then, what am I going to learn at the aquarium in Tampa that I would never otherwise get? You're going to learn at the aquarium about the diversity of species that's out there. A lot of people are already thinking about just what you said, flipper there. They might have sharks on the mind. But even learning that something like corals, like the staghorn corals, are so prevalent in the coral reefs of Florida 20 years ago and are on a fast decline. Well, we have a program at the Florida Aquarium that can help people better understand how we're helping to you know, grow those corals in our, in our setting of our coral conservation or, or center for conservation and help protect those coral reefs and how important those are to everybody on the planet. And, and the things that you can do to make you know, a, a commitment to helping protect our waterways, but even you like actually, cutting plastics. But you actually have to make a firm commitment. I remember when I was growing up on the East Coast in Long Island on the Great South Bay, sure. there was an abundance of oysters, an abundance of clams, yep. an abundance of seafood with, not, with you could never run out. Well, guess what? Yeah, it's running out. Well, not only was it overfished and overclammed, then we had Hurricane Sandy. And what Hurricane sure. Sandy did is it tore up the seabed. 
Right, and right. It tore up the seabed so that the clams were, were and the oysters were no longer protected from the crabs that wanted to eat them. Yeah. And as a result, it's almost empty now. And that's what I think we're learning, too. We, we've seen the same kind of um, results that uh, when hurricanes do hit a coastline, if you remove the natural barriers there, like the mangrove forests that are so prevalent here in Florida, you take that away. Now the water can wash completely over the land. It made a big difference in, in Katrina. It made a big difference in Ike and Galveston. And then you see that, too. If you develop a coastline and you don't leave some of those natural barriers there and those healthy beaches there, you're going to lose a lot more. You, you pay the cost in the end. Yeah. What's the most fascinating exhibit you have there? I would say... And probably, don't say sharks. No, no, no. That no, would be no. way too biased, way too biased. Um, the wetlands gallery in the wetlands habitat. It is a glass dome. It's enormous, and it houses a whole home and a host of animals from free-flighted spoonbills that have been making a comeback in Tampa Bay, which is a sign of a healthy recovering environment, but they're making a comeback in our very dome. We've got babies from two years ago that are still, you know, flying around the habitat, but we've got alligators and otters and fish of all types from Florida. It really is, and it's a mangrove forest that's over 20 years old. I've been happy enough to be there over 20 years myself and watch those grow from their little sprouts to 30 foot tall mangroves. It is truly a living home and habitat. Our and the thing ones. is, not only do you see that growth, when you come in there and put and, and you tell that story and you put it in perspective, then people yes. can, can really respect that. And that's what we are doing is connecting people with the wilds. They've got to learn the stories of every one of these animals. And from the the sharks, to the turtles that we rescue and release every year, to the corals that we're doing our very best to protect so that we can still protect that environment for generations to come. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. My next guest, like so many other people I know, came to Tampa by accident. It wasn't part of the plan. He was uh, trying to get into the Navy. They washed him out as a fighter pilot, and he took his uh, $200 discharge money, got into, uh, what kind of car was that? A 1966 Dodge Dart with no air conditioning. As it should be. (laughs) And one suit, and nowhere else to go. And drove to Tampa. Well, guess what? In 2011, he got elected mayor. His name is Bob Buckhorn. Mr. Mayor, thanks for coming. Peter, thanks. Thanks for coming back to Tampa. And you're still here? I am still here. It was the best decision I ever made. But it was just like prompted by the Navy. It did. It uh, broke my heart uh, because I had uh, always aspired to be a fighter pilot. And uh, when they misdiagnosed me um, and discharged me, it forced me to, uh, to plan B, which there was no plan B. Are we now changing the name of Tampa to Plan B? I guess so. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's not often that someone who doesn't grow up in a city or spend most of their life is able to get elected mayor. Uh, but this, Aren't you the first one? I think, um, if not the first, I'm pretty close. Yeah. But but I think what it speaks to is is Tampa's ability to welcome talent and even less talented folks like me to be a part of this community. I mean, there were no barriers for entry for me. You know, I scratched and clawed and fought hard to get here, but no one stood in my way and said, you're not born or raised here. You're not a, a Tampanian by birth, so therefore you can't be the mayor. Um, they said, no, give it your best shot, son. And here we are in the third largest city in Florida. Absolutely, and the 53rd largest city in America. But who's counting? Yeah, me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, let me say, st- speaking of large cities, and, and I said this to you off air, but I'm going to say it to you on air. I love your airport. Thanks. The Tampa airport, for those people who have not flown here, you're in for a pleasant surprise. For people who have flown here, you already know what I'm talking about. It's actually an airport that works. You know, Peter, we, we're very proud of that airport, and I think the folks that fly through there recognize what an amazing place it is. It's always rated as one of the highest uh, user-friendly, traveler-friendly airports. And, and what folks will be happy to know is that we're in the midst of a billion-dollar expansion with another $2 billion Phase two coming over the next two years. So, Yeah, but don't change what works. No, no we're not. We're not. And that's really a model for... And if you can imagine this, that design has been timeless, basically, and other airports have used that design. And what's ironic about this is the sons of the original architect that designed that airport are working now on phase one and phase two of the expansion. All right. So you've been here since what year? 1982. Okay. So you've seen the airport grow. Yeah. What makes it still work, though? What about the design of that airport says to you, this is cool? It's convenient. Uh, ease of use is, is absolutely there. We get you. And it was the first uh, shuttle system that was at an airport. From the terminals. From the terminals. Yeah. And so that shuttle system gets you to baggage claim rapidly, and it gets you right out to your car. So the time that you are in that airport, as you were saying earlier, um, is minimal. Um, and what we're attempting to do with the expansion is to give you more food offerings, give you more retail offerings, to make the experience more pleasant than it already is for you. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. It is the design of that airport that makes it unique. And it's only, what, 15 minutes away? It is, 15 minutes from downtown Tampa. Amazing. What's the thing that changed in, in Tampa that you think is, is the other than the airport, the coolest thing going? You know, we came out of this recession that had literally knocked us to our knees, um, and we had to make a fundamental decision as to whether we were going to get up off the mat and come back. Um, and we did. And I think the transformation of this city over the last six years has been nothing more than absolutely amazing. You know, Tampa's got a swagger about it. Tampa's got a, an attitude about it that's not cocky, um, but that recognizes that we are a city with immense potential. And our mission is to fulfill that potential. And we've been through our ups and downs. You know, you remember when we were declared America's next great city in the late 80s and, and we didn't quite get there. But I think we're And you didn't quite get there then because? Because I think leadership, I think uh, the economy, um, I think there were conflicting and competing views about what it took to be um, in that top tier of cities. I mean, we're not competing with New York or, or L.A. or we're competing with emerging Sunbelt cities. You know, the Austin, Texas's and the Charlotte, North Carolina's and the Nashville's and the San Diego's. We're competing for talent. We're competing for um, intellectual capacity. We're competing for opportunities. And I think we compete as well as anybody in the country. And that's different than what it was five years ago. Mr. Mayor, we talk about growth. And every mayor wants growth, right? But then you can get in trouble. You can. Um, you got to make sure it's the right growth. And you got to make sure it's the kind of jobs that allow our best and brightest to remain here. I mean, I've got two young kids. I don't want them to have to leave for some other city. So the type of growth that occurs is important and how you manage it. Are you seeing kids leaving? We were six or seven years ago. They were fleeing. We were a donor state and a donor city to other places that had really gotten their act together. Um, That has changed completely. I mean, young people are flocking back to Tampa in droves. So um, I worry less about our ability to compete because we can do that. What I worry about is... Uh, rampant growth, unregulated growth, growth without, without infrastructure uh, accompanying it. And so, you know, we have a great niche here. Um, we don't need to be the biggest city in America. We're not going to be the biggest city. You don't want to be. No, we don't. Absolutely not. But I do want to be the economy that's driving the southeast United States south of Atlanta. And I think we're capable of doing that. 
big international port, big international airport, a very diverse community that celebrates diversity as a strength, not as a weakness. Um, so I think we've got the capacity to do it, but you're absolutely right, Peter. How you manage that and how you plan for that is absolutely important. You mentioned the port. Uh, have you wrapped that up? We have uh, on both the, the cargo side and as well as on the cruise ship side. I mean, it is the largest deepwater port in the state of Florida by a long stretch. Port Miami is only 900 acres. Port Tampa Bay is 5,000 acres. So we have a lot of room for growth. We just invested in two new gantry cranes. We are the closest port to the Panama Canal, which has obviously been widened. Yeah, get out your maps, boys and girls, and just do a straight line from Tampa, and you're going to hit Panama. Absolutely. And so we, we potentially have the, gateway, the, the ability to be the gateway um, to Central and South America for, for different reasons in Miami. Miami's got its own niche, but I think we have the capacity to do that. We speak the language. We're a multicultural community, and we're proud of that, and we celebrate that. Um, so it's, it's, it's a city that's on the rise, a city that is on the verge of something really, really special. Plus, you've got ships now sailing from Tampa to Cuba. We do indeed. We have, uh, I think you're going to be on one of them shortly, and that is going to open up that market. Although, I will tell you, it will be a long time before Cuba is a significant trading partner for the state of Florida or for the country. Their ability to, to pay, their ability to get credit is limited. Yeah. Um, until there are fundamental changes in the government, I don't think you're going to see real freedoms occur. Uh, but, you know, it starts with people to people. It starts with educational exchanges, and, and that's happening. You know, we talked about the airport. Let's talk about airlift, because without airlift, it doesn't matter how good the airport is, you suffer. If you take a look at the airlines that we have in America, I'm talking about the, the legacy carriers. We've gone from eight major carriers that used to fight for, fight for 88% of the market share down to four of them that essentially own it. So your challenge, as many challenges are to other mayors like you, is how do you keep the airlift even at the level it's at, let alone how do you increase it? Well, our, what we have tried to do over the last six years is expand that capacity and, and to put Tampa on the global map. We did not have international flights of any significance six years ago. So we made it a But mission. you are an international airport. We are. And, and we made it a mission for the last six years to go out and recruit um, international flights to come to Tampa. Uh, we were successful with Copa Airlines, which really opened up Central and South America. And we've done a story on Copa. If you look at the map... If you think you can't get there from here, if you don't mind going through Panama City, Panama, right, guess what? You're it op- there. It opens up the entire Central and South America. And they told us no for three years. And we dogged the CEO. Pedro. 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 Love Pedro. See, I know Pedro. There you go. We dogged him for three or four years until we were able to make the case to him. And it was a very data-driven case as to why Tampa made sense. Uh, we've expanded airlines with uh, Icelandic Air, with Idlevice Air. Um, we are aggressive about it. We're incentivizing these airlines to come here. Um, and once they look at the numbers and they see the reach in this Tampa Bay area, and it doesn't compete with Orlando. This is an entirely different marketplace. Um, it's an easy decision for them. So I think we're expanding our offerings, um, expanding our routes, routes domestically and internationally, and I think it will bode well for us. And yet the distance between Tampa and Orlando is no big deal. It's not. It's, it's 90 miles. It's an entirely separate market. Um, we attract a lot of people who fly into Orlando for the theme parks, but then want to come to the beaches down here. So we're, we're actually advertising in Orlando with a campaign that calls a Tampa Bay area, Orlando's beaches <laughs> and it's working. <laughs> well, you know what? It's not one dimensional anymore. It's not. I mean, people can bookend. They can indeed. And it's easy to rent a car and come down here and experience the beaches and then go back to the theme parks. What have you done in terms of your own building codes here? to make sure that you don't become out of control in terms of development? Well, it's interesting. We're trying to focus most of the development in the urban core where the infrastructure is already in place. 
I mean, our downtown has just exploded in growth, but that's a good thing. That's where you have the density. That's where you can go higher. That's where the infrastructure is in place. We finished the river walk. I mean, it is a very different downtown, Peter, than, than it was even a year ago when you were here before. You know, we're obviously moving to gr green codes and encouraging people to build to lead certified uh, standards. So we really are being smart about this. Um, we don't want the sprawl that takes place when people move to where the dirt's cheaper or where you drive to you can qualify for a mortgage. We want the bulk of the growth to occur in the urban core because I will tell you, if we're going to attract millennials and if we're going to attract, attract intellectual capital, those young people want to live in the urban core. They don't want to live in the burbs. So we have to build a downtown that's attractive to them. In fact, they don't even want a car. They don't. I know. Mr. Mayor Bob Buckhorn of Tampa, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate that. You bet, Peter. Anytime. Th that music means we're we got to take a, a flight one of these days. Let's do it. Okay. Upside down. <laughs> you first. <laughs> This is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. And whatever comes our way. When I come to Tampa, and when most people come to Tampa, most people don't think about museums. Most people don't think about about history. Um, some people don't even think Florida, other than, you know, Ponce de Leon, has a history. Well, Tampa Bay has a lot of history. And, and joining me now, the curator of history at the Tampa Bay History Center is Rodney Kite Powell. How are you, sir? Doing fine. Thank you for having me. Well, you heard my introduction. You started to smile when you, when you heard what I said. But I don't think I'm lying. Uh, you absolutely are telling the truth. Uh, we see a lot of visitors who come through the History Center, and they really are surprised to learn how much history that Tampa has and that Florida has. Uh, there's the perception, of course, that Florida didn't start until air conditioning in, in Walt Disney World. And wait a minute. You tell me wait, that's not that's not the story. <laughs> there's a couple of things that happened before. Although I will tell you this, I remember going to Orlando a couple of years ago and saying, "Hey, I'm going to take you down to Old Town." I said. Old Town? When's, how far back does that date? 1955. Does it stop it? The Main Street on, on Disney. Yeah, but you go back a little further than that. Yes. Uh, Florida's history, and you mentioned Ponce de Leon. Uh, you know, we at the History Center and, and others in, in Florida history circles, you know, like to poke fun at the folks up in uh, Jamestown and Plymouth because uh, Florida's recorded history is just simply older. We go back further uh, with Ponce de Leon in 1513 with uh, two of the uh, first real explorations of what is now the United States, both starting here in Tampa, one in 1528 and one in 1539. And then, of course, St. Augustine in 1565, the oldest uh, continually occupied European settlement in the United States. I love the way you describe that. <laughs> well, you have to use those qualifiers. Yes, you do. But, you know, talk about Ponce de Leon. I mean, when I was going to school, all I heard about was the Fountain of Youth. Well, yeah, and you, if you learn about anything in Florida history, presumably uh, as a, as a non-Floridian even, uh, you learn about Fountain of Youth in 1513, and then fast forward in American history to the uh, the Pilgrims landing at Plymouth Rock, and uh, and American history is largely English history, and and that's what in Florida we have to to push against. And of course, nothing against English history; it's, it's where our founding documents come from as a country. But as a, a history and a recorded history, you gotta the go back Spanish, further. Absolutely, sure. the Spanish occupation of much of of, of what is now the United States was called Florida. Uh, Georgia, South Carolina, even up into Virginia, uh, was on some very early maps all called Florida. And, uh, and so Florida history really is American history. All right. So tell me, where is the Fountain of Youth? I have to know. It's uh, down Howard Avenue almost to uh, 
<laughs> Newport. You know, that's where they have sodas at the fountain. <laughs> the, exactly. Yeah. And that's the fun thing about uh, St. Augustine. Uh, of course, we're in Tampa, but uh, uh, St. Augustine has a tourist attraction called the Fountain of Youth, which is a con- completely contrived thing. But it's on top of an incredibly important archaeological site. Do they uh, know that? They do now. They, they? Don't think they was, they, <laughs> I think pure coincidence at the time when they when they opened the Fountain of Youth. But uh, but it's it's incredible what is underneath this goofy tourist attraction. It's an incredible archaeological site of a native village. Are they letting people know that it's there? They are now. Yeah, that that's uh, that the the archaeological site is there. Yeah, they're starting to explore that more now. But they still are talking about the Fountain of Youth and the, what what Ponce de Leon was looking for, which he wasn't looking for that. Looking for gold. Looking for glory, uh, but certainly no fountain of youth. You just completely disabused me of the... I know. Um, I do that a lot to people. But you are a Florida native. In fact, you're born and raised here in Tampa. I am, yeah. Not many of us around. What keeps you here? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I, I, I really I like the direction that Tampa's going uh, as far as uh, how we're growing. I, I just love the city. My family's here, of course, and that, that's a, a big anchor, certainly. Uh, I love traveling. And so uh, I, I get kind of my fix of, of, of the North by going to New York or Boston, uh, Chicago. I, I love, uh, you know, the, the true Southern history, say, of, of, of South Carolina, going to Charleston or Savannah, New Orleans. Uh, but I always come back home. And, uh, and Tampa just is home to me. Now, the History Center has got, what, three floors? We have three floors of, uh, of exhibit space. And we're actually expanding the building kind of as we speak. And we will add more to our third floor, which will be a larger permanent gallery space. But we have two floors of permanent gallery space right now and one uh, temporary exhibit space. Well, when we come back, I, I want to talk to you about maps. Oh, I want to talk about your exhibit because I'm fascinated with that. Uh, you know, I, I live on a place in New York uh, in, in the summer. It's called Fire Island. And everybody says, oh. how did Fire Island get its name? It's because somebody misread the map. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. We've been speaking to Rodney Kite Powell, the curator of the history folks at the Tampa Bay History Center. You've got a good exhibit out there that's opening soon on what? On maps. Yeah, actually, the, the exhibit just opened. It's uh, a history of Cuba and Florida through maps. It's called uh, Gateways to the Caribbean. Or revising history. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope not. I think well, but, but, but you know, history. history, I always like to say, you know, uh, history is, or, uh, the history books were written by the victors. Absolutely. You know, so if you want to see revisionist history, you look at the history of maps because people were, you know, the word territorial ain't kidding, you know. Yeah, and it's, it, looking at maps is a great way to trace history. And you really, you know, of course, you look at a map today to see where you're going. But old maps show us where we've been, and it's uh, and the, sh- the the exhibit we have really demonstrates that, and it really demonstrates for our exhibit the connections that have long existed between Florida and Cuba. How far back do the maps go? The earliest map we have is 1513. Whoa! 
And so from when our friend Ponce de Leon was here, uh, certainly not, so, uh, not documenting that. Was, was the Fountain of Youth on the map? Come on. Well, well funny, Florida isn't even on the map, maybe. Uh, the map is actually based on the... Uh, the information gleaned from the uh, the Columbus voyages, and so. Well, speaking of Columbus, mm-hmm. I have to interject here. You know, we were all conditioned by bad history books when I was going to school that Columbus was a hero, mm-hmm. that Columbus was this good guy. I have been doing my reading on Columbus mm-hmm. lately. He was not such a good guy. Well, certainly in our standpoint, he wasn't. A well, good hello. Guy. What other standpoints <laughs> do you want to talk about? Well. You- 1492 is a different, uh, a different I mean, age. You, but, I uh, mean, this guy was a murderer. Yeah, he was a rough guy. And, and, and we also, still celebrate Columbus Day. Well, we, yeah. And it's interesting that he, as far as anybody knows, died convinced that he found a route to the Indies. He did not believe he found a quote-unquote new world. Listen, this guy stumbled into everything. He yeah. Everything was accidental. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. So let's hear it for the Vikings. Well, Can we hear it for the Vikings? Well, and that's, you know, if they had come to Florida, I think I'd <laughs> give more emphasis <laughs> on them. But, uh, but yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, what we, what we learned in, in school about all, all these early heroes and all these early stories, you delve a little bit more, you find out a lot of it just isn't true or is only partly true. And yeah, your, your reference to the Vikings, absolutely. They're the ones who, if anybody other than Native people who'd been here for 10,000 years found the new world, it wasn't Columbus. Right. Now you're going to put me into a depression about Davy Crockett. I know we're going <laughs> to... No, but the bottom line is you have to... Look, the beautiful thing about history is it finally gives you enough time to find out what really happened. Yeah, having that separation. And, and like you said, you know, you used the word revisionist uh, earlier, but you know, there is new evidence. There is new information. You know, history happened, but the evidence of what happened continues to, to come out. And so we continue to learn more as, as more evidence comes to light. And so I mean, even, even if you're talking about relatively current history, there's not a year that goes by that another book doesn't come out on Richard Nixon, for example. Yeah. And you learn stuff that you didn't know before that now helps you to paint the picture. Yeah, the, 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 there, there's always new information that needs to be uh, reviewed. It's as simple as that. So in all of your years there at the History Center and all the stuff that you've done, what's the most surprising exhibit that you have that people walk out of there going, I had absolutely no idea? I I think uh, the exhibit we have on the Seminole Wars, uh, we think about, again, in Florida, uh, there's university, Florida State University, who's whose uh, mascot is it's the Seminole, Seminoles. Yeah, yeah. And so people know the Seminoles through that, basically. Um, but there was a, a very long, costly Indian war, the longest and costliest Indian war in American history, fought here in Florida by the U.S. government against the Seminoles. And Tampa was the military headquarters for the U.S. Army during that war uh, in the 1830s and 1840s. And, you, and most Americans, if you ask them, where are the cowboys and Indians, they'd say the West. And we had that here first. Uh, we had cattle drives here before they had cattle drives out west. Well, there are cowboys still in Florida. Come on. Absolutely. Or the cowmen. They don't like being called cowboys. <laughs> you know, stop it. I'm just, I'm serious. Well, there's a new group called Cowboys to Men, but that's another story. <laughs> exactly. But but no, people don't realize that that culture was here. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing. It's still here. And it's because it's the Spanish. The Spanish are the ones who started it. The Spanish brought cattle. The conquistadors. Cattle. Uh, well, and the vaqueros. Yeah. And so, but the, the Spanish brought cattle. The Spanish brought oranges, citrus to Florida. And so two of our largest industries, aside from people coming here. Uh, Did the Spanish bring Anita Bryant to Florida? That's another story. Well, exactly. Now I'm dating myself. <laughs> yeah, really. I'm really dating myself <laughs> on that one. My, my engineer over here is looking at me like, who? Yeah. But you know who I'm talking I, I about. Yes, yes, you do. That's a funny one. <laughs> you're, you're still laughing about that one. I am. That's I know. No one talks about Anita Bryant anymore. Maybe. Right, I think it's the first so. time I've mentioned Anita Bryant in my entire life, yeah. I think. Yeah. Well, there's a Jimmy Buffett song that uh, he ends with. She hope, he hopes that she doesn't cover one of his songs because her politics and his politics are a little bit different. I, yeah, no kidding. No <laughs> kidding. But the bottom line is 
so much history started here that Florida doesn't get the credit for. Absolutely, yeah. And again, it's because not only we have the reputation for being a, a tourist destination and we have kind of the air conditioning and, and Disney World benchmark to go on, but so few of the people who live here are from here or even here kind of multi-generationally. In Texas, New York, Virginia, you have people who have long-standing histories in those places and a lot of pride in those places, rightfully so. But we're really hoping that people can, can gain a pride and appreciation for Florida history as well. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go My next guest, I think I can call him a Tampa Bay resident at this point. He, uh, he's actually been with a newspaper, which is an amazing in itself, 25 years. He joined back in 1992. He's a columnist for the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Times, Ernest Hooper. How are you, man? I'm good, Peter. How are you? Okay. And, you know, you heard uh, earlier in the show we were talking about the, the most adventurous cities in, in America. Tampa Bay didn't get on the list. Tampa didn't make the list, and, and there, there wasn't a city in Florida, which surprised me a little bit. Yeah. But you're here. I am here. You're adventurous. I am adventurous. What keeps you in Tampa? You know, uh, I love the water. I love so much. Me too. uh, Going across the bridges and just those uh, beautiful watery vistas are spectacular. And I make it a point to see a sunset uh, out out on the Gulf at least once a month. Now, you started as a sports guy. Yes. And then? Um, In 2001, I made the transition from NFL and Bucks writer to community columnist and that's what you've been doing ever since that's what i've been doing for the last 16 years so you are all about the community of tampa i am i am uh love it here what makes it a community everybody could be a city but what makes it a community you know i like to call tampa the biggest small town in america uh we have a lot of people who live here we have a lot of different businesses but there's still a, a very much uh, a small town uh, atmosphere people know each other uh, there's a, a close uh, knit uh, vibe here that I really appreciate. And you know, you've been here long enough to be able to almost be your own tour guide, right? Uh, yes, I, I feel like there's a couple of spots I always like to take people to when they come to visit. All right, tell me about one of them. Uh, I love Oak Lawn Cemetery. Okay, stop right there. That's what you're. <laughs> wait, I've just come to Tampa, and Ernest is taking me to a graveyard. I've taken a number of people there, and they're always impressed. Uh, you know, the best way to learn a city's history is at its oldest cemetery. Especially if the gravestones tell the stories. Exactly, and that's what you have at Oakland. Uh, so many historic uh, uh, tombstones. It was, uh, I like to call it Tampa's first integrated institution. Uh Dates all the way back to I heard the people, mid- I heard people were dying to get in. Just Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to go there. I, I, I apologize. Okay, keep going. Well, you know, um, there's there's all kinds of people buried there. The um, uh, the One of the founders of our cigar industry, uh, Vicente Ebor, who brought Ebor the cigar. City. Yeah. yeah, who brought Ebor, who brought the cigar industry from Cuba to here, is buried there. Uh, there are slaves buried there. There are Confederate soldiers buried there. There are Cubans. Italians, uh, just about everyone. So basically, it's dead diversity. Exactly. <laughs> I, just, I just thought I'd mention that. <laughs> yeah, we're very diverse, but they're all dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But but it's still. I, I think it speaks to that to that era. It does. It does. Okay, so you got me in the cemetery now. Where else are you going to take me? Um, you know, another spot that I love to take people to is uh, Cuba. 
I love to take people to Cuba when they come to Tampa. Now, I know what you're going to tell me because I've been there. I got, you, I got you covered on this one. It's that one little piece of land. Yes. It's, it's, a, that, it's, about, well, it's the size of a small refrigerator. Yeah, it's, it's, mean, a, it's a postage stamp piece of property. that It's the, in Ybor City, isn't in, it? In, in, in Ybor City. It's called Jose Marti Park. And uh, the owners deeded the property to the Cuban government um, in the mid-1950s before Castro came into power. It was Batista. Yes, they deeded it to Batista. And the interesting thing is that there's there used to be a home on this piece of property, and uh, legend has it that um, the Spaniards, when the Cubans were trying to overthrow the Spaniards back in the 19th century, Marti was poisoned, and he was nursed back to health at a home that used to sit on this park. And so that's why it means so much to the uh, Cuban people. And it's still officially owned by the Cubans? It's still officially owned by the Cuban government. Now, it is it is a frozen asset that's been frozen since the embargo was Back placed. Back in the 60s. Yeah. Yes, was placed on Castro. But uh, officially, it still belongs to Cuba. It's still part of Cuba. So you can come to Tampa, take a picture in front of the Jose Marti statue, and tell all your friends you've been to Cuba. <laughs> And you've done that how many times? <laughs> oh, too, too many to count. Too many to count, Peter. Now, speaking of Cuba, there's the bunker. The bunker is, is my spot. The bunker is where I love to uh, do my work. I like to go there in the morning, get a nice cup of coffee or a cafe con leche. And, of course, the, the Cuban tostada. The Cuban tostada. Cuban cheese toast. Melted, of course. Melted, of course. And uh, you can get you can choose between American cheese and Swiss cheese. I like the Swiss cheese. I think that's more authentic. And um, the bunker's just so eclectic. It's got such a cool vibe. I love to uh, do my work there. Yeah, they got Wi-Fi, and you st- they can't get you out of the place. They have great Wi-Fi, and I have <laughs> closed it down a couple of times. <laughs> now, the Cuban sandwich, though, is different. Now, the Cuban sandwich is that's also right? made with the Cuban bread, but it's different. And uh, it dates back to... Uh, those 19th century times when the cigar factories were bustling. And, and it's a very much a point of pride here in Tampa. And we make the Cuban a very specific way. Our city council actually passed a law saying this, these are the official ingredients of a Cuban sandwich. It's sort of like the French with champagne. I think so. I think so. And, and the interesting thing is we have a rivalry with Miami. And Miami argues that uh, they are the originators of the Cuban sandwich. But our historians insist that the Cuban sandwich originated in Tampa. Well, your historians would insist. Well, of course. <laughs> uh, but but we've done a lot of research, and, and we believe the, the Cuban sandwich originated here. Now, one of your favorite places is also one of mine. In fact, uh, the owner will be coming up right after you on the show. And that's Andrea Gonsmart from the Columbia. From the Columbia, which uh, is known for many things, of course, but uh, at the top of the list is their Cuban sandwich. And uh, you haven't gone, you haven't visited Tampa until you've come here and had a Cuban sandwich, and you can start at the Columbia. But they also do something else there that actually I did with them last year. I actually went in the kitchen and made one. It's the deviled crab. Well, yes, the deviled crab is is another special delicacy here in Tampa. And Columbia serves it. My favorite spot, uh, Michael Bracado would get mad at me if I didn't mention it, is Bracado's Sandwich Shop. I've always sworn by their deviled crab. In fact, uh, I took their (laughs) deviled crab into a deviled crab showdown uh, in our newsroom once and uh, prevailed. by scant points, but Bricotta won out. <laughs> and what's in that sandwich? Well, it is uh, blue crab that is seasoned and then breaded. 
It's about the uh, size of the palm of your hand, and they were very popular back in the uh, early 20th century. There used to be a guy on a bike who would ride around and sell them for 10 cents a piece, and uh, they were straight from the Gulf. Uh, people would go out in the bay and uh, catch the blue crabs and use them to make the devil crab. And you know, like every other city, or like many other cities, there's been a craft beer explosion here. There's been a huge craft beer explosion here. It began uh, with a guy named Joey Redner who uh, started with Cigar City Brewing, and uh, he just it, it created a ripple effect. And now we are uh, known very much for our craft beer here. So basically, after 11 o'clock in the morning, I, I can find you with a Cuban sandwich and a craft beer. Uh, on, on many days, Peter, indeed. <laughs> Don't tell my boss. No, it's too late now. <laughs> What's the one secret dive place that you have that, that, that we haven't talked about that you like hide out in that nobody knows about? You know what? Um, there's a place uh, further north of downtown on the river called uh, Rick's on the River. And it's a terrific kind of uh, throwback salt of the earth uh, restaurant. They have uh, seafood and it sits right on the water. Most of the seating is outdoors and you can look at the river and watch people come and go. They have a little uh, marina there and uh, that's a place I love to frequent. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. Every time I come to Tampa, I hang out at a place owned by my next guest. Um, and it's not in Tampa, particularly. It's in Ybor City. Uh, started there in 1905, I believe. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an iconic place, and yet they're now everywhere. They even have... They even have one of these, or maybe a couple of these at the airport, right? Yes, we do. That's Andrea Gonsmart, fifth generation owner and operator of Columbia Restaurant. How are you? Very good. Thank you. I mean, your place in Ybor City, you know, you walk in there, it goes on for like miles. We are a whole city block. Unreal. But didn't start that way. No, started as a small corner cafe. And grew room by room. 1905. And now you have separate rooms, right? Yes, we have um, 15 dining rooms. But who's counting? No, I'm not. (laughs) And you're known for what? What's your signature dish? Probably the paella a la Valenciana, which is the national dish of Spain. And and you make that, I mean, it's huge. Yes. The other one's probably the Cuban sandwich or the 1905 salad. It's a a toss-up. Now, okay, but I know about the 1905 salad, but not everybody else knows about it explain okay the 1905 salad is iceberg lettuce julian ham and swiss cheese fresh tomatoes green olives tossed with our infamous 1905 dressing which is extra virgin olive oil lots of garlic oregano a little bit of white wine vinegar it was actually voted one of the top 10 salads to make a meal by us today and i order it without the ham and i'm in i get it with turkey well, I just get it without any meat at all. That's okay. Because without with that dressing, I don't. I could eat cardboard. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's true. But in a given night, right? You, you can give me weekday, weeknight, or weekend night. How many people are you serving? Ugh. You know, if we have seventeen hundred seats, you've got to figure we're easily going through probably two thousand covers. You know, we open at eleven o'clock. We don't close until eleven o'clock. We're open three hundred sixty-five days a year. You're, you're even open on Christmas? Yes, we are. Why? Because, you know, ironically, we're very, very busy. A lot of people have come to the Columbia now for so many years. That's their tradition. 
which we love being a part of their tradition. Exactly. And you've got the places at the airport now. Yes, we do. We have four concepts there. But then you've got a place that I'm going to check out. I have not been to it yet called Eulalie, which is named after an Indian princess. Yes, it's very much like the Pocahontas story where she saved a, very, a young Spanish sailor from being burnt at the stake. Now, is this legend or story? Come on. This is legend. <laughs> According to my father, Richard. <laughs> All right, tell the, tell the legend. Um, so Juan Ortiz, who was a Spanish explorer, her father was going to, who was the chief, was going to burn him at the stake, and she saved him. So, and they fell in love, and that was basically how it went. Now, you've grown in Ybor City to a full block, right? What has happened to the rest of Ybor City? What, what changes have you seen that, that, that you think are pretty cool? You know, Ybor City is hands down my most favorite area in Tampa and you know we've been by the way that's spelled Y-B-O-R if anyone wants to know yeah Um, and we've been privileged to be able to be the anchor of Ybor City and Ybor City has gone through so many different growing pains and now they really are in a great place Um, there's lots of art going on there a lot of businesses are moving in and making that their corporate headquarters and their office home and so you're seeing a lot more activity during the day lots of people going out to lunch um, there's a great nightlife with great places to get cocktails, go out to dinner. There's a movie theater. Ybor City kind of got it all. They've also got the old social clubs, right? The old German clubs and yes, stuff like that. and the Spanish and the Cuban and the Italian. Amazing. In fact, unless I'm crazy, there's a piece of real estate in Ybor City that actually is still Cuban. Yes, there is. Am I right? Yes, there is a small, I mean, it's a tiny little fenced-in area that's got a, um, that literally has the plaque that says this is a piece of Cuba. And it's actually owned by Cuba. Yes, it is, which <laughs> who, is kind of crazy. Who knew? But there it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> and now you've got Tampa being the, one of the gateways to Cuba. You can sail. It's, you're very right. Out of the port of Tampa, you can now go to Cuba. What's changed on your menu? Anything? You know, there are a lot of the same things because we would hate to disappoint our customers coming back looking for that item. There are always a few items that change out. But, you know, what we try to focus on is being who we are. You know, making our customers happy, being what makes us happy, being true to ourselves, not, you know, keeping up with the fads. We are who we are, and we're proud of that. I mean, I would guess, and please tell me if I'm wrong, but you really haven't changed the decor. No. we Ever. Don't, we've given Ever. It, we've given it facelifts, so that way, you know, it still looks like a brand new version. Of 1905. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, not a lot of neon. No. No. I mean, it is all about preserving what was given to us. And being the caretaker, as my father likes to put it. Now, how many members, I mean, how many generations? We're talking five generations now. Yes. So my great-great-grandfather. Same recipes. Same recipes. Well, a lot of our recipes were developed over the time as well. You know, with um, many of our, our chefs that we've had have created a lot of our staple items. What's your oldest recipe item? You know, I think it'd probably be, you know, that's kind of putting me on the stop spot. Maybe the snapper alicante. You know, outside of the the standards like arroz con pollo, ones that were already existing ones. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast on the new location somewhere around the world. Hey, Prime members, Peter Greenberg here. You can listen to Ion Travel ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, and you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. And before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com. Welcome to Pura. 
the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer lands. There's no crime in Pura. No murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us. In Pura, we promise to keep you safe. They killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, in Pura. The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now, ad-free, on Wondery Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus. The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS's weird Lord of the Flies-style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town, to The Swan, a horrifying concept where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and then were made to compete in a beauty pageant. Hi, I'm Misha Brown, and I'm the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each episode, comedians join me to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently on The Big Flop, we looked at the reality TV show, The Swan. The problem, this dream opportunity quickly became a viewing nightmare. They were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then were ranked by a panel of judges. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts.